we design rooms into our house, why wouldn't we design rooms into our garden? That's a really good question, Fleur. What is it about rooms and why, do we, why wouldn't we design them into a garden or why would we? Maybe that's what I should ask you. Yeah, well, you know, you've been to many of those Aussie backyards and they just have grass and hedge and fence. They don't feel right, And the hill's hoist. You've got the hill's hoist. (laughs) And it's not its own room, mind you. True. It's in the middle. But they they just, they lack a sense of invitation and journey. So we put in rooms because it creates spaces that are not only inviting, appealing, but have functions and they just increase the feeling of space. I would also add to it that they make your garden feel more organised and give it a real purpose because when you design a room, just like you do in your house, you design a kitchen because that's where you're going to be cooking. You design a bathroom because that's where you're going to be washing. You that's know, right. So why wouldn't you do – you do the same in a garden. Yeah, and look, even in a house, you might have an open plan living space, but you still have the way you arrange your furniture. You still have an area for your lounge room, an area for your kitchen, and an area for your dining. So there's a really fabulous chapter in Michael McCoy's book, Dream Gardens, about a garden where the designers intentionally divide a large block uh, into a series of small rooms so that you get this – sort of an aperture, so you get this glimpse to the garden rooms beyond. And it's, um, it's one of the designers in this space called Kendall Monk, and he says, it's a really great quote, he says, dividing a space up, if it's done well, through that sense of discovery can make the space feel bigger. Mm, that's a really good reason to do a bit of garden room designing in your garden. Your hosts are longtime friends, Fleur and Sachi, that's me, who bring a fresh perspective and their life experience to designing gardens as a second career. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, follow us on Spotify so you know when the next episode is available. And as you've heard, we're talking about creating outdoor rooms in your garden today. So what exactly, you know, are we talking about properly here? Yeah, so we're really looking at a, you know, larger space and we're breaking that into a set of smaller spaces. Now, I'm just going to challenge you there. Mm -hmm. So are we looking at just something that applies to a larger space? No. In fact, when we look at a courtyard or a balcony, we can do the same thing. And so what it is, we're proportioning functions. We're sort of saying this side has a particular feel and a particular purpose, which may be different to that side. And it already gives you that sense that your brain can register, that's, I get it, that's that's what I'm going to use that side for. That's what I'm going to use that side for. And the space just feels then organised and deliberate. Yes, like we were talking about, purposeful. So so there are, I guess, and I don't want to use the word rules, although you do like your rules. I do like rules. Guidelines, perhaps? Guidelines, exactly. So there are a couple of things you want to be thinking about that are important when you're designing rooms, just like you would in your kitchen. You know, normally you wouldn't design a kitchen unless you're in a micro space that is under a particular size if you have more space available for you. So what are the what are the guidance mm. things that we want to be thinking about for outdoor rooms? Yeah, look, I, you know, I want to start with this out there. It's a bit theoretical, but I think you stick with me because this will give us the bones on which we can then develop more conversation about. And that is I just want to put out there two guidelines for listeners, and that is one is the golden ratio. And two, not is the golden triangle no. like we t- talk about in some other thing. <laughs> no, this is not Bermuda, and the planes are not falling from the sky. This is the golden ratio, and then the second one was the law of significant enclosure. And I've picked these two because they will give listeners and you know designers, anyone who wants to have a go at this, some guidelines to how to recognise the ideal proportion of space. 
Okay. Good. Go. Right. So let's let's think about the golden ratio first. Um, this sounds complicated because it kind of is a bit, but it's this perfect ratio, and the ratio is one point six one eight. Okay, think of that. One point six one eight. That is the meaning of life. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. Everything's solved apparently. That's that. right. Well, I was just going to say, if you can explain this to me, then you've explained it to anyone. <laughs> okay, let me give it a go. Let me yeah. give my best shot. Okay, so in the landscape design context, the golden ratio is about creating spaces that have ideally balanced dimensions. Okay, so this is a yep. really good start state. So what we mean by this is we can create rooms where their relative width is balanced with their length. Yep. So we're kind of thinking rectangles here. You can apply the golden ratio in other ways, but rectangles to a point where it feels pleasing. Okay. So let me give you an example because yes. I'm, I'm getting a bit of a blank stare here. You are. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering where the 1.68 or whatever it came in. Oh, I'm so glad you asked <laughs> because I'm about to reveal. So I think an example is really useful in this case. So just say you've got a long skinny backyard. Maybe it's, it's shallow and, and wide or long and thin. And some people have these particularly sort of townhouse kind of arrangements. Just say for the exam for this purpose of the example, it is five meters wide and twenty meters long. Okay. Now we know when you stand on that deck and you look at that space, you're seeing everything at once, and it's not interesting. But we want to break that into functional areas. So if we apply the golden ratio and say we want to keep that five meter width, then we take five and you multiply it by the golden ratio. Five times one point. 618. 618. Okay. okay. Now, because I just did the maths before, that equals just over eight. <laughs> you could have really impressed me and said, oh. you know, made up like you'd done that in and your then head. Bam in my head because yeah, I'm exactly. just so mathematically clever. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have questioned it. Don't worry. Oh, good, because no one's ever told me I'm mathematically clever. <laughs> <laughs> so, what we've got now is we've got a five meter wide garden and um, space. And we've applied, we've multiplied by the golden ratio and it's given us eight. So now what it's saying to us is five metre wide by eight metres long the is a really ratio. nice size for that width. That's right. So perfect dimensions. Now we talked about in this context that the garden's 20 metres long. Okay, so we've got eight metres plus eight would be 16 and then we've got this sort of four. Um, random bit random at the end. So what I then say is what you can do is you create a five by eight metre length then you've got a four-metre transitional space. So that could be an arbour with planted garden beds on either side. And you come into a sort of squeeze and then you come back out into the back five-metre by eight-metre garden Another room. Golden triangle, uh, golden rectangle That's triangle yeah, in my yeah, head. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. And so you can kind of see instantly we've taken that one space, we've divided it into two and you put a nice transition in the middle. So instantly there's something that invites you to that back room. And the front room area might be functional for your barbecue, our fresco type of space, but the back area might be a much more relaxed and, and uh, refuge space. Cozy nook or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So, and obviously this, um, the, the, the golden ratio or the golden rectangle mm-hmm. is actually something, because I was talking to someone that I know who did anthropology, shout out Brian, and mm. he was saying this is actually something that was used by ancient civilizations as well. So it's been around for a very long time we're not making it up (laughs) it is something that the proportions just appeal to the human aesthetic and feel Uh, Mm -hmm. that's right it's um it's tried and tested and it goes back to it's related to the fibonacci sequence as well which you see repeated in nature yes constantly and so that's probably why it's a pleasing thing for the human well you did a good job in explaining it to me i just need to remember the actual number 
1.618. You can Google it, I'm sure. No, oh God, I, I already got it wrong. Yes, I will. Anyway, I'll write that's it down. my understanding. And I think it's interesting when I sort of look at designs I've done, I've sort of intuitively used those kind of spaces anyway. So now what I want to, the second one I want to talk about was the law of significant closure. Because if we're going to make garden rooms, a room implies you've got a floor, walls, and potentially a ceiling of some sort. So with insignificant closure, this is um, all about the ratio of the horizontal to the vertical planes. So, so we're I, talking 3D now. We're talking 3D. So we've got our ideal square, or also ideal rectangle. rectangle yep. And now we want to work out how high do the dividers go between the rooms. Now, if you've got um, – so the law of significant enclosure is a 3 to 1 ratio. Okay. What that means is 3 – um, horizontal, one vertical. So let me give you a practical apply? example. Exactly. Just say, let's go really, really easy. Just say you've got a three metre wide space. Mm-hmm. The height of your wall should be... Don't look at me. Three, three to one. Three <laughs> oh, to one. okay, three to one. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> one metre. <laughs> no, because I'm trying to – I can't work out where the three goes versus the one. Okay. That was so my three issue. three is the horizontal. So think the flat, the floor yep. is three metres wide. Yep. And the height of that wall should be no more than one metre. Right. And the reason for that is a three metre by – say if you have a three metre by three metre space, that's small. Yes, it is very small. If the small. wall's any higher than one metre, you feel – Too um, enclosed. Too enclosed. Yes. And it's a not a good feeling. So just say then we go into a nine by nine metre space. Like you think of – it could be quite an easy size backyard, backyard lawn. That's nine right. by nine metre. The height there that acceptable is three metres. Yes. Okay. So yeah. because you've got much more open space – the um, you're taking up a hedge or, or trees or canopy or something to three meters is more acceptable. The human brain accepts that as a feeling of pleasing enclosure. Yes, I, and I think we probably need to differentiate between what we're talking is something that is connected, largely connected with the floor and gives you a feeling of sides. Because we're not talking necessarily about your ceiling because obviously it's not going to work with your yes. ceiling. Now we're talking about the height of the walls exactly. or the screening or the maybe the hedging or the Just trees on the side. Just in case someone side. was going to try, try and, you know, build a little dwarf outfit because <laughs> it's not going to work. You'll be crawling in right. <laughs> if you've got a small space. So they're, I guess, the guidance elements that we need to be thinking about. Let's yeah. get into the how do we actually build something like this. And I guess there are... Uh, I almost wanted to think about it like we would build a room. So what what are the things that you think about when you think about the floor, walls and ceiling? Yeah. Should we start with the floor? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Build up from there. Absolutely. So floor, okay. Um, floor outside in a garden space, what could that be? Well, I mean, immediately I would say very generally it can be either hardscaping material or it could be softscaping, i.e. plants. Yeah. So you could use a wood deck you could have stone flagging stones or paving or you could have mulch or you could have turf or you could have gravel all of those things can create your floor yeah anything like yeah, that. yeah lawn yep. um i think that's said, right turf. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right and i think the other thing is obviously if you already have a space outside you know you might have a like some people have these massive decks you might actually want to create a garden or a room that starts to break your deck up into bits that are more usable and create a bit more interest than just a big, flat, open space. Yeah, look, look that's so true. And a lot of people do have unusually large decks. They and, do. And I I've got of, one of them and it's a bit yeah. useless in bits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I say to people, like, how would you, you know, look inside, how have you broken up your open plan living space? So we need to have this area is where your 
you know, comfy couches are, and this area is where your open um, air dining is. That's right, or you your, fire, your fireplace yeah. or whatever it might be. That's yeah. right, or your beanbags for the kids to sit. Yeah, and sometimes it might be a wall that actually divides the two spaces where you've got, you know, one of those great fire, fire features that you can see from both sides. Yeah, like. and there's nothing to stop you from doing something similar mm. in a outdoor space as well. So that's really the floor. Is there anything else mm. you'd say around a floor? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered floor. I think the only other thing I would think about, I thought about, was if you do have something like a large deck or a large hard paved area, um, you can get outdoor rugs. So you can use that to help define your garden room as well. If you don't necessarily have the capacity to put up, you know, lots of wall like stuff, you might want to help yeah. define your space with that rug. Yeah, that's a good point. In fact, you triggered me to another one as well, and that is the use of contrast paving. Oh, good so, idea, yes. yeah, if you do have a lot of hardscaping, having having a uh, kind of a header soldier course edge that defines a space that um, you know might be like a four by four metre space, and then even though the paving continues, you feel just by having that border around your paving means that you and you step over that border which you're not stepping over anything it's flat um, but it gives you that mental kind of transition I've gone into another space now so what was the border you just talked about soldier oh, sold, like um, a, a header course or a soldier course which is like when you get a whole lot of smaller pavers and they're lined up mm. um, so basically you're almost doing like parquetry where you have a distinctive different design in your paving yes. pattern Yes, yes, that's right. Or something that is a border around the edge. Yeah, and uh, you could do the same mm. even with if you had a large expanse, say, of gravel or pebbles, you could also do a different texture or a different colour to yes. help define a space which might be your floor for your room. Yeah, that's that's great. So ground planes are just as important because you really want to – the ground plane, what's happening on the ground is breaking up those spaces into rooms even before we've put the walls in. <laughs> exactly. So we've, we're starting from the bottom up. So let's get on to the walls. So yeah. what are you thinking about walls? I guess one thing I did want to mention very quickly, though, is when we're talking about a room, it doesn't have to be fully enclosed. We're, not, we're just talking about the feel of a room, not that it has to be a room like in a house because we're in the garden. Most cases, you don't necessarily need to have something that's, say, watertight like you would in a house. I yeah. don't think there's many houses where you have a non-watertight room. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> which would be kind of weird. That's right. That's right. You know, I mean, in some time in your in your garden rooms, you may have a covered arbor, or a studio out in the garden, or a glass house, or something that is covered. But by and large, most of the rooms are just defined by a, a suggestion, a suggestion, or something. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, what would you use for walls? Yeah, I think walls are fascinating because you can have such a range. You can have block work you know like painted rendered block which is heavy yep. and non-transparent mm. right through to you know you've got rio mesh screens that have a light vine climbing up them and one thing i think is lovely in that is cutting in windows so you could have got this aperture into another space that's very enticing and in fact we've got a photo which i'll put up on our instagram for this because redford park did a fan has a fantastic outdoor room where they've actually created a sofa in plants with a lampshade and they have a wall with a window where you can look into the outdoor room as well. <laughs> so we'll put that up as a photo. It's, I mean, it's an extreme of an outdoor room because it really is an indoor room brought yes. outside. <laughs> but it is a good instance, I guess, of what you could potentially do if you wanted to. Yeah, it's playful. So what you were just saying, I think, um, I think the thing, there's actually some questions you might want to ask yourself about your walls. So it kind of depends on your goals. 
So do you want structural privacy? Do mm. you want to make it more intimate? Or do you want it something that's blending subtly with the rest of the garden? You know, those are the kind of questions you want to be asking yourself. You know, absolutely. And if you have too many privacy walls, you're going to feel quite enclosed. Mm. So sometimes you have to have a, that sort of lighter footprint that, and maybe it's just a of kind of um, trees that create a little bit of concealment, but a lot of airflow and light goes through them still. I mean, I'm thinking of things like birch that are just very lightly Light. foliaged. That's right. Um, so we've learned not to put birch into our gardens in Canberra, though, everyone. Just remember the last yeah, couple of episodes back right. there. Thank you, Attila, for that reminder. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but they're the kind of, you know, light sort of uh, – and then you can have hedging, which is very heavy and Dense, thick. yes. But, but coming back to this um, decision, you may actually – the decision may be made for you by the available space. So as soon as you put a hedge in, you're taking away, you know, maybe about 80 centimetres of ground plane. And, but if you put a Rio mesh fence in, you're taking away 5, 10 centimetres. And I guess it also depends where your room is going because you might actually already have a naturally, you know, you might be using a boundary fence and that's, you know, a wall in your garden. Yeah. So again, it's a bit about where you situate things as well that might dictate what your walls look like Yeah. and where you have them. That's right. And you know, and if different rooms going to want to have a different feeling, there might be spaces that you do want to have this sense of a real intimacy, enclosure. Maybe you have a lot of canopy type of trees and then you walk in that you're immersed into this sort of shaded um, refuge space. But in other spaces, that's not appropriate where you want to feel airy and light and a bit connected to other areas. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the other thing, if we go back to what we were talking about before, say if you had a big hardscape space, either paving or decking or something, you don't have to put things that grow as your walls either. You can use things like potted plants. They could potentially create your um, your uh, wall or you could actually have, you know, a, a low stone wall or something built into it to create that sense that there's a divider and, and some kind of a wall too. Oh, the apple step over. Oh, the apple <laughs> step over, that's right. <laughs> For those that don't know, there is a thing called an apple step over. Not the apple turnover. <laughs> no, that's right. And it basically is just a spallierring apples quite low to the ground, so it's about 30 centimetres to 50 centimetres high. You can step over them, but you've got a productive little wall. That's what that's referring to. That's exactly right. But obviously screens and fences are your obvious choice as well for, for um, some walls. So I think the other thing to just remember about the, the walls is you need to be thinking about your entries and exits into your room because you want to be thinking about your flow as well. So how are you going to get into this room? How are you going to get out of the room? Yeah. And luckily you don't really have to worry about fire escapes. So it, it really is about how you want to use the room. So be planning that at the same time you're thinking about what your walls and materials might be. You know, I, I always, when I'm designing, I like to have at least two entrance exits out of every room because I feel that if you come into <laughs> a room... you don't want to be trapped. <laughs> that's right, I don't want to be trapped. But also I think that adds to journey. So mm. if you go into a dead end, it's like you're in a maze. You go to a dead end, you think, you feel that sort of, oh, I've got to turn around. Whereas if you're going into a room that gives you another option, it's like, ha, huh, where does that where go? Where does that go? That's and, right. And that actually creates this sense that the whole space is bigger than it is because you're moving through the garden in a, um, a way that you start to not 
get a good sense of where you've come from and where you're going. Yes. So it makes your journey a lot longer. It's that like is when very I play true. golf. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, you might <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> Right. Uh, There's no walls there either. Gee, (laughs) I hate to see you with a golf ball in walls. But I guess the other thing is that with uh, entries and exits, if you want to have a really cosy thing, you might actually only have one entrance. You know, it goes back to this, what's the function of your room as well? Yeah, good point. And I think in those spaces, that's where you have destination points. Yes. So if you're going into that, you know, there's one entrance in, one entrance, one exit, then there's going to be seating in there. There's going to be something that invites you to linger and stay, pause, those sort of things. So that creates a whole ambience and that's the function. The function is a destination spot in your garden. And I think the other thing is you don't have to have four walls. So, you know, you might have some taller walls and you might have some shorter suggestions of walls. You don't don't feel like when you're creating a room it has to be the four wall ceiling and floor. Yeah, and you know what, it doesn't have to be rectilinear either. No. So what sometimes I've done um, curved, curved. Ar- arbors. <laughs> yes. And I tell you, they create a beautiful journey because you can see at the beginning of the arbor that it's curved, but you can't see the end of it. So the, it invites you in and you have a whole new experience as you come out the other side. That's a lovely idea. Yeah. And particularly if you've got, you know, you've got clematis or vines that's or something right, growing something over overhead. it. Yeah. And, that's a, and, and that adds to, while we're talking about flow, this sense of coming into a tighter space and then opening out into an... This is one of Fleur's favourites. Oh, it's the... It's, what is it? The squeeze, squeeze and release. Yeah, squeeze yeah. and release. And it's not to do with your glute exercises. <laughs> <laughs> Which is immediately what springs into my mind. <laughs> so how about we go into ceilings? What would you do mm. for ceilings? Well, ceilings an interesting one to garden because quite often you really don't do a ceiling unless you want to... Unless you've got a canopy that is a tree canopy uh, or you're actually going into a space that... It has got a artificial roof, like a so like a hardscaped roof, yes. like a pergola or an yeah. awning, or you're yeah. building a structure that just is a suggestion of a roof. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, and uh, but really, I think some of the good canopy sort of methods, if you want to create a bit of a cozy space, but you don't want your trees to go too tall, particularly those on boundaries where you're going into power lines and or hanging over the um, neighbour's yard, which you might not want to do, is you get those grafted trees and they're on a you know 1.8 metre standard, standard mm. and they will only grow sort of about three metres wide, three metres um, high at the most. And like it just creates umbrella. an umbrella. It's yes. a living umbrella in your or garden. Or a big mushroom. <laughs> a big mushroom would be like, I think of them sort of like big beach umbrellas but you don't have to they don't wear out like if you had a that's true something fabric those canvas yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely I actually have to say I really like in rooms that you don't always have you have more of a hint of a ceiling you don't Mm. actually have a ceiling and I was thinking some of the most I guess effective things that I've seen used even is like a you know, a string of fairy lights, which starts to suggest that there's something overhead. I like that. But there is nothing really substantive about it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just thinking of a garden I went to in um, the Robinson's Garden in New Zealand. And it, it was a series of arches and they were metal welded arches. And they were about maybe a metre and a half apart from each other. But you walked under them. They didn't have any climbing vines on mm. them. They did, they weren't, it wasn't a roof. But the sense of walking through it and under it made you feel that there was a there was a something enclosure. Enclosed. And it, was, it was very pleasing. And there is something, and I did, yeah, I'll use the big word. There is an anthropogenic, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's right, uh, comfort in having 
a sense of enclosure, which also goes to why there is a guidance around, you know, how you actually design that enclosure so you don't feel trapped. But we do like to have things around us as humans. It's very safe and protected. It is, Mm. absolutely. I think Mm. the other thing that it's useful to think about what is going to be your sort of ceiling-like structure, I'll put that into inverted commas, ceiling, is that it's also the area where you are adding that vertical interest to your garden because you do want to be taking a step back and thinking about not just the room you're building, how does it fit with your broader garden? And you always want to be thinking about the layers that you have in your garden and you always want to have some kind of vertical structural interest, not just all at one or two layers that are lower. Yeah, you know, that that really resonates with me because when I was reading um, Michael McCoy's book and it was, um, he talks about how interrupting sight lines has a powerful effect of keeping your attention placed in that space. Did you just remember that? Yes. Uh, yes. I, I'm I was, impressed. Oh, because it was so so interesting because we have this idea that you want to always see the borrowed view or you want to see straight down, you know, an avenue or something. But and sometimes you don't. Sometimes there's nothing to look at. That is very true, particularly in Australia where we just might have miles and miles of very flat land. Yeah, or looking into your neighbour's um, garden. <laughs> washing line. Yes. And so this idea of actually interrupting the sight lines is quite beautiful because it brings you back into the space you're in so if your sight lines are interrupted it forces your eyes to slow down and see what's right there and what's with you so it it creates just a much more gentle movement through a garden so I'd say you know having those vertical uh, screening points you might want a frame of view you know he'll have those windows but interrupting the longer view is good Absolutely, you know, and yeah. it's um, it's actually quite right. quite a clever way to create interest. Create interest, yeah. yes. So I think mm. we just need to take a step back from the actual room itself now, mm. and think about what are the things that you also need to think about when you're connecting the rooms and how you're laying them out. One of the things for me is always, and this goes back to making sure that we're thinking about our principles more generally, is that there is some kind of a seamless integration from your house into your garden. So even though you're creating these rooms, you probably don't want to have, if you've got a very modern house, you probably don't want to all of a sudden have, and I don't know how to describe this, but a, you know, a very ye olde worldy room in your garden. So you want to keep your feeling the same and you want to think about your proportions again and the scale relative to the house too. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the the landscape architects and designers always talk about the house is the dominant form. It's there first and the landscape needs to respond to the house. And in many cases, when that's done respectfully, it works so well. Sometimes, you know, you're in a modern house, but you just desperately want a rose garden, a cottage garden. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Well, then maybe that's where you can room it up. And and in the far part of the garden where it's all nice and bright and sunny, you walk into this rose parterre or something like that. And it's a distance Mm. from the house, you know. That might be the way to deal with those things. But let's talk quickly about the transitions and the layout because I think that's really important here too. You can build the best room in the world, but if it doesn't have the right connectivity with other parts of your garden or your house, then you're not going to use it. Yeah, so it needs to be, just like in your house, it needs to be purposeful. It needs to have, and, and you know, it can be many things. You just work out what that function is. Maybe it's just a place to pause and reflect. Maybe it is a fire pit um, and it's got a deliberate function. Maybe it's a play area for the kids. Maybe it's your vegetable patch. 
Maybe it's your yoga studio. Oh, I love that. So do I. <laughs> I want one of them. That's going to be my next room. And so as long as it's got, you know, it signals to the brain to say, this is what this function's for. Am I doing that today? No, I'm going to move on to this other place. But that's okay because you're having a journey through it. So transitions, destinations, slow spots, apertures, these are all part of the flow of creating the garden rooms. I think that's that's very true. And I'd, I'd say there, for me, there are some things that I always look for. If you've got an area that, say, is like your dining room area, put it closest to your house because then you won't be running in and out, bringing things back and forth from the kitchen, yeah. unless there is a really good reason not to, obviously. But I would also say with those transitions... And this almost goes back to some of those principles that we were talking about um, when we were talking about Japanese-style gardens. How do you signal that you're moving from one place to another? You know, and, you, and one room with a different purpose to another. Yeah. So they are really important spaces, those transition spaces. And it might even come down to you have a, you know, a, an arbour and that sort of signals that you're moving through something into something else. But it might be as simple as you you move from one material underfoot to a gravel and you all of a sudden you get a crunch under your feet, yeah. you know, and that signals that you're moving into another space. Right. It's a different sensory experience. That's right. Yeah, and that's it also can come into that squeeze and release. Exactly. Um, and exactly. a question I want to throw back to you because we've got to start wrapping up and that is can dividing a garden up be done badly? I would say yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And I'm sure you've got an example that you can give us because <laughs> you're just itching to give it to us. Well, uh, it's just that, you know, y- y- this is not the you know, be-all, end-all solution for everyone, just dividing your garden up. You've got to think about it purposefully. Yes. So, you know, if the spaces are poorly proportioned, for example, it's going to be done badly. If you, um, therefore, if you don't consider your golden ratio and your law of significant enclosure. <laughs> but um, secondly, if you try to fit too much in a room, and this comes back to our conversation on function. So if that's a fire pit, let it be a fire pit. Don't make it a library at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't burn those books. Because it's also exactly. <laughs> but, you know, and there's areas that, you know, if you clutter it too much, then you go into that space and you just feel too it's too busy it's overwhelmed and you can people particularly do this poorly in small spaces like decks patios and uh courtyards uh, it becomes everything to everyone that's right so you've got to be very deliberate the smaller space the more of a challenge be very deliberate so if you're dividing up spaces be very deliberate and quite discerning about what goes in them and get the proportions of what's in that space to the size of the space, just and, right. And I would also say you do need to think about the materials you're using as well because the materials will really help you create the different feels that you might want in your room because you might be creating a nook where there's a really nice little place to sit and read. You possibly don't want that to be hard concrete. You know, mm. you might want to make it a much more softer I guess, you know, with some furnishings and some wood, which is a softer texture. So think about your materials as well, because they will really help you understand and uh, make it very clear the purpose of your room. I think mm. we have gone breakneck speed through this. There's so much to say about oh, I rooms. I feel like we only just started. I do too. <laughs> I do too. But I think the other, I guess the, the key takeaway from me before I hand to you was Keep in mind your garden design principles because they apply in rooms just as much as anything else. So you are thinking about your unity, your scale, your proportion and your balance, all of those very important things. What are your takeaways, Fleur? Well, definitely on the proportion and and use those guidelines of the golden ratio or golden rectangle and the law of significant closure. And secondly would be the flow. So it's one thing to have rooms, but if you don't flow a natural connection through them, if you don't connect the spaces and create um, some journey, 
then you're not getting it. So, so important. flow transitions. Uh, fabulous. You heard it from Fleur. It's all about the flow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up now. It's been great talking to you. Follow us on Instagram and find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts and follow us so you know when the next episode is. Happy designing. Happy designing. See you later.